571. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash Spirit Blade Productions. On the show today, a look back at the hugely significant comic book story, Batman, A Death in the Family, and some thoughts about the power of our words as we continue through the book of James. Here we go. If I was about to forget every comic story I'd ever read, but could first record a message for myself just before the mind wipe, this would be the result. Condor Man. Welcome to Essential Issues, where I talk about my favorite DC comics of the past that are still affordably available today, blabbing about why they're special to me and what, if anything, they have to say about the essential issues of real life. Now, warning, this series does freely contain spoilers, but I think that even spoiled, uh, the issues, the stories that I, t- that I feature are well worth reading. For more info about the intent of this series and what, what you can expect from it, check out the video on the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel titled Essential Issues Series Introduction. Okay, we've covered some key origin stories from DC Comics. Now we've been moving into stories that feature major events in the DC Universe or that in some way define the status quo or that are, in my opinion, very iconic representations of DC characters. Last time we looked at The Killing Joke, which defined the Joker for a generation of uh, comic book readers and also created the catalyst for Barbara Gordon to eventually take on a new heroic identity as the Oracle, leaving Batgirl behind. Well, pretty close on the heels of that story came another arguably bigger event in the Batman timeline, a story titled Batman, A Death in the Family. The title, combined with the The cover image that you're likely to find for the collected version of this story gives away the ending in which Robin tragically, I'll put in quotes, or maybe not so tragically, dies. This story uh, was big news at the time. It even got mainstream news coverage. And older fans of Batman who were no longer reading comics at the time, you know, came out of the woodwork with outrage that a character that they loved had been seemingly thrown away. But this Robin wasn't Dick Grayson the original Robin, who had already forged his own path uh, with the new crime-fighting name of Nightwing. No, this Robin was Jason Todd, Dick Grayson's replacement, who, unlike Grayson, had a, a, had a rebellious attitude toward Batman and just a thirst for violence, just had a lot of aggression in him. He was hated by a significant number of readers, and so this story was written actually with two possible endings, both ready to publish uh, as the story goes. In one ending, Jason Todd dies. Uh, That's the one that was published. In the other, however, still fitting the title of the story arc, it's only Jason's mother who dies. Readers are presented with two phone numbers that they could call for a fee of uh, 50 cents to cast their vote, and the rest is history, except for a few details that some people might not be aware of. It was uh, reportedly a pretty close decision from fans, although urban myth suggests that One wealthy reader used automation technology to vote all day for Jason Todd's death, which was, in fact, the outcome when they tallied all the votes. Whatever the truth may be behind the decision, the death of Jason Todd has 
reverberated in DC Comics even up until today, as far as I know. Now, I haven't been following comics since uh, a couple years into the New 52. That's part of what this whole series about is about, is uh, me kind of like reminiscing and catching back up to the New 52 and then seeing what the status quo currently is and whether or not I want to get back into DC Comics on a regular basis or not after finding the New 52 pretty distasteful. Anyway, as far as I know, Jason Todd as a name um, and his significance is still very much a part of the the DC universe. Um, And he continues to have an ongoing effect. But this story, uh, you know, you may ask, um, is it worth coming back to, you know, for its own sake? Or maybe is it just a historical artifact that all dedicated DC fans should read merely for the sake of, you know, familiarity with continuity? Well, I will tell you what I think. Here we go. Coming back to it, the first thing I noticed was how I prefer the old newsprint paper quality when reading older comics like this. Reprints either brighten up the colors too much, giving them a childish vibe somehow, or the dot coloring used in the original art doesn't blend when reproduced on modern comic pages, emphasizing the shortcomings of the classic coloring technique. The faded, less colorful original uh, feels more grounded and serious to me somehow, which is fitting for the direction this story takes. The dialogue is dated on the very first page, but the tone has... the the darkness of modern comics at the same time. The reason being that in the opening scene, Batman and Robin are about to break in on criminals. Not colorful ones with weird names and costumes. They've tracked down the main warehouse of a child pornography network. Dark subject matter for comics, even by today's standards. In addition to the dialogue feeling dated, the costume designs also call back to a bygone era that feels overly simplistic and less realistic. I have never liked Robin's classic costume. I admire uh, the time the character puts into building those leg muscles, but there is something almost creepy about seeing an adult male physique in that bare-legged costume with bright colors and elf boots, as though he isn't just wearing underwear outside his pants like most superheroes, but forgot the pants part of his costume altogether. Likewise, Bruce sitting leisurely in a recliner with his suit on but cowl off just felt odd, you know, in a time before artists added seams, stitching, and buckles to costumes, he looks like a man in some kind of spandex dancer's costume waiting in the green room before the big show that night. But looking past the dated dialogue and visual designs, there is still a very serious story here that is aiming for psychological realism and events grounded in real-world issues. The Joker may look silly and harmless, but he's as deadly as ever, leaving a trail of bodies behind him and looking not to pull off some crazy, jokey public stunt, but to sell a cruise missile on the black market to Arab terrorists to bankroll whatever horrible thing he plans to do next, while also enabling who knows what levels of death and destruction. Since this comic was published, the word terrorist has taken on a much more real and dangerous significance to Americans, making this story age well to the degree it wants to embrace weighty, real-world ideas and dangers. And on top of that, Joker's crippling of Barbara Gordon is mentioned early on, reminding readers that, yes, this is the same sadistic Joker that we saw in the shocking one-shot story of The Killing Joke. Now, if you're wondering if you'll feel lost in a story about Jason Todd when you didn't even know Dick Grayson wasn't Robin anymore, have no fear. I'd never heard of Jason Todd when I first read this story, and it still made sense. And coming back to it, uh, I saw why. Throughout the story, Jason and Bruce both remember parts of his backstory that, in steady enough doses throughout, catch the reader up on who Jason is and how he came to be Robin, so we know enough to decide if we care about his death by the time the story ends. Jason lost his parents at a young age, which led to Bruce finding and recruiting him, but alienated from Bruce now and mourning his parents' deaths more than ever, Jason's reminiscing leads him to old documents he had never seen before, including his birth certificate. Although damaged by water, he discovers that the name of his real mother started with an S, whereas the woman who helped 
raise him was named Catherine. Feeling alone in the world, Jason latches on to hope that he may have some real family left and begins a search to discover the identity and location of his real mother. Jason narrows the search to three women, all with intriguing backgrounds, and begins globetrotting in an effort to find them and determine which is his real mother. Meanwhile, Batman is busy tracking down the Joker, torn at the fact that it's necessary for him to delay catching up with Jason due to the more immediate threat. Regardless, Bruce and Jason bump into each other. As it turns out, the different people they are tracking are associates of each other. So Bruce and Jason combine their separate quests for answers into one. One of the women suspected to be Jason's mother is a relief doctor in Ethiopia running from a past that seems to have involved performing illegal abortions for teenage girls, which was an interesting uh, tidbit. Batman fans might appreciate that another of the women on Jason's list of suspects is Shiva Usan, who turns out to be Lady Shiva, an assassin, uh, the mother of Batgirl Cassandra Kane, and one of the greatest martial artists in the DC Universe. She and Batman, of course, have it out before the dynamic duo have the chance to ask if she's ever had a baby. Her answer puts an uncharacteristic expression on her face, and uh, it's a, a great response that I won't spoil, but it was fun to experience again. Upon seeing the grim conditions in an Ethiopian refugee camp, Bruce notably narrates to himself, It's utterly heartbreaking. When I return to Gotham, I'll send out another check to help the effort and try to forget what I've seen here. I'm no different from anyone else. There's only so much even Bruce Wayne and Batman can do. Uh, the art can't really convey the sad realities of th third world poverty and oppression, but I think it tries respectfully. And Bruce, in a very human moment, reflects both compassion and the limits of his compassion. He commits to being a part of the solution, but at the, the end of the day, he doesn't want to have to keep thinking about the misery of this people group. I actually wonder if we are meant to much more continually enter into feeling grief and mourning for others rather than coming to a point where we say, I just don't want to think about this anymore. I have, to, I just need to stop thinking about this. You know, um, I know that's a complex issue. I'm not saying that there's some kind of rule about that, that we should follow, but I, I don't think the writer here either was, was saying that this is like the ideal response. I think he was just giving Bruce a human moment where he was like, I want to help. I'm going to help, but I also don't know how to deal with this, you know? Um, but Jesus really continually entered into grief and mourning for others. He was called a man of sorrows in part because of how much he unceasingly loved others and the constant pain that that brought him as a result. And after reading this page, I found myself reflecting on what my wife Holly and I are doing to help people in these kinds of conditions. And, and I, I just had to admit how easily content I am to send a check write a, a sponsor letter now and then, but otherwise not think about or pray for the very real people living in just like what would be for us nightmarish situations every day. When Jason finally reunites with his shocked mother, despite the dated art and dialogue, despite how much I really don't like Jason at the start of this story, somehow through all that, I see a broken kid who lost everything, yet somehow found his mom. Decades later now, as a dad, this moment has its intended, surprisingly, moving effect on me for the first time. But soon after their reunion, Jason learns that his mother is being blackmailed by the Joker for medical supplies that he can then sell on the black market, which leads them to the warehouse that will serve as the setting for one of the most brutally memorable scenes in DC Comics history. After ignoring a plea from Batman to wait for him to return, Jason disobeys yet again for the last time and suits up to save his mother from the Joker. But after a cold-hearted betrayal, Jason is suddenly subject to the Joker's whims. And he is feeling anything but whimsical. Setting aside the acid flowers and other gag weapons, the Joker simply picks up a crowbar nearby and sets loose his mania on the helpless boy wonder. The images that follow are far from the most gory and explicit in comics. In fact, they may be more effective and unsettling for what they only hint at, such as the downward arc of Joker's two-handed 
crowbar swing, which you can only imagine sends the forked end of the crowbar into Jason's back, doing unspeakable harm as it undoubtedly both breaks his bones and rips him open. To cover his trail, the Joker sets a time bomb and ties up Jason's mom to it, assuming Jason is already done for. But Jason is barely hanging on and determined to get his mom to safety, doing a lot more again to make him a a likable character to me. But being likable doesn't disarm bombs, and just when it looks like the two will survive, hope is yanked out from under them. The warehouse explodes just as Batman arrives and begins frantically searching the burning mess, rapidly, meanwhile, reliving his years spent with the boy, beginning with the first time they met. In fact, right here, it actually becomes a bit much, like a heavy-handed recap to sort of catch up readers who may have only purchased this issue of the story. That's definitely what that uh, moment felt like. When he does find Jason... It's immediately obvious that he's too late, and as he recovers the body, we are given one of the most historic and iconic full-page spreads in all of comic books. Uh, But the story doesn't end there. Naturally, Batman wants revenge. In fact, he begins going down a very dark path, sounding a lot like he's finally going to kill the Joker, who even baits him by telling him where to meet at the United Nations building. To Batman's shock... The Joker arrives in a limo and steps out as the new Iranian ambassador to the UN. After making a deal with the Ayatollah, he has complete diplomatic immunity, meaning government agents and any superheroes tolerated by the government, such as Batman, can't touch him. Knowing this would enrage Batman, the U.S. State Department asked Superman to meet with Batman before the Joker arrived to prevent his ally from doing something he would regret. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the exchange between these two iconic heroes uh, in that scene, but it's another great reason to check this story out. The situation leaves Batman and Superman at odds with each other. Batman is convinced that the law and justice are opposed to each other in this instance, while Superman is bound to uphold the law. Uh, Yes, vengeance is involved in Batman's motives, heavily, but it's still, I think, clear to the reader that this is a great injustice for the Joker to have the immunity he does, creating a nice moral, even philosophical dilemma to consider. Uh, You know, Romans 13 tells believers to submit to the governing authorities because God has put them in their positions, um, even if they are not godly people. And yet there are rare cases in scripture where God seems to bless or direct those who break human laws. So how do we sort through that? Uh, I think this story beat can potentially lead us to contemplating that issue. Uh, I do think it's a bit much for an installment of essential issues to take on, but it's an issue well worth exploring another time. I will let you experience the ending for yourself. Both Batman and Superman are involved, and as you can rightly assume, the Joker does not die. It all comes to, I think, a fitting climax, but with an outcome that leaves Batman unsatisfied and all the more fueled to follow a dark path in pursuit of justice. The fact that this story had such a major effect on Batman history and comics history in general, and the gimmick of allowing readers to decide the ultimate fate of Jason Todd provide plenty of reasons to uh, check out this story from a purely historical standpoint. But if you can adjust to the older art style and sometimes painfully dated writing, the foundations of the story, the core skeleton structure, if you will, I think, and the, the tone that it sets, I think it still holds up well with its desire for grounded and gritty drama that... Uh, I think keeps you taking things seriously, even as other elements feel far below current standards. So it's a mixed bag today, but the combination of historical impact and grounded serious story beats make it worth reading, though you may want to try a library or wait for the price to drop a little. As of this recording, Batman A Death in the Family is available for between $15 and $18 on Amazon.com. Now, for the origin story of Tim Drake, Jason Todd's replacement as Robin, check out the trade paperbacks Batman, A Lonely Place of Dying, and Robin, A Hero Reborn. The first establishes who Tim Drake is and why he's uh, worthy in heart and mind to take the mantle of Robin. The second is his coming of age as he trains and truly becomes capable of taking on that role and gets a much better costume. (laughs) 
neither of these are quite essential, I, I don't think, so I'm not going to be doing an installment on them, but I do think they're worth reading eventually if you especially like Batman or more recent runs of Teen Titans. And I find Tim Drake to be a much more likable Robin that is easy for me to respect and admire. Okay, now that we've covered the vital ground of Jason Todd's death, we're ready to move uh, backward a bit in publishing and forward a lot in the DC Comics timeline, if uh, you even consider it to be a part of official continuity. It's a story about Batman's future, but one that radically redefined the character from the mid-80s onward and still, I think, really defines who he is today. Uh, it may or may not ultimately be a part of... DC Comics continuity, but it is essential reading as almost every comic fan already knows. Next time, we're going to take a look at the hugely influential story by Frank Miller, Batman The Dark Knight Returns. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. It's been a while since I did it in one breath. Wanted to give it a try. Nailed it. For information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. It is time for Extra Life again, and I'd love for you to be a part of it with me. Here's a recycled but slightly modified promo to tell you more. Once again this year, Christian Geek Central is participating in Extra Life. Uh, this is a charity that raises funds for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals, which provides free medical care to children whose families could otherwise not afford it. And this is very often for critical, life-saving treatment. Joining our team only requires a willingness to ask your family and friends to consider donating toward your fundraising efforts. Participants also usually do something fun and game-related to draw attention to their fundraising efforts, like a, a special game night at your home or your church, or like me, you could do a crazy 24-hour video gaming marathon. Now, I'm theming it around video games, but really this, this event can be themed around any kind of gaming, which includes both video games and tabletop games of any kind. What you do to raise funds is entirely up to you, but I would love for you to consider joining the Christian Geek Central Extra Life team. Uh, as team leader, I'll be there to help answer your questions, provide some helpful tips if I can, and just in general be your fundraising cheerleader and try to draw attention myself to your fundraising efforts. You can get more information about the event as a whole at extra-life.org, uh, and if you choose to sign up there, be sure to select Christian Geek Central as your team so I can get in touch with you and then just help in whatever way I can. Fundraising can begin at any time, but our main push is going to be through the month of October leading up to November 2nd. Uh, that's the annual Extra Life Game Day uh, when I'll be streaming my 24-hour video gaming marathon live and trying to stay awake without throwing up. More details on my live stream as we get closer to it. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Once more, guys, if you have any questions uh, about the idea of possibly being a part of the Extra Life team that I'm leading, uh, please just let me know. P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. That's probably the last time I'm going to run that promo because starting next week I will be promoting uh, the stream and uh, my own fundraising and stuff so the bulk of my recruiting is going to be done at this point but of course you can join the Extra Life team anytime leading up to the big event on November 2nd as well as after that if you want to do a fundraising event after that uh, the Extra Life charity basically runs from calendar year to calendar year they have their big event in November uh, but if you miss that or want to do it later or whatever you can certainly do that and the Christian Geek Central Extra Life team will exist and we'll have uh, a running tally of our combined total fundraising all the way through the end of 2019 so anyway there is that what else we got here at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central this week I've posted the best things in life and thinking about death and actually the bulk of the video is not about that. It's part two of my Backlog Burn 2019 live stream featuring this time a uh, gameplay of Pillars of Eternity, The White March, and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I've actually been getting back into. Um, getting back into some Ubisoft stuff. I'll maybe mention that. I'm, I'm playing the, um, the Ghost Recon beta on PS4 right now. And uh, when I was done recording that and wanted to turn the lights off, but yet, you know, didn't want to play it without recording it, I was like, well, I want some kind of Ubisoft get into the world and rustle through the bushes and stuff. 
<laughs> what, what does that mean, Pater? What does that mean? What do those games have to do with wrestling in the bushes? I like the sound of Ubisoft games. I like the sounds of the feet and the moving through the foliage. Anyway, um, yeah. And also, I've posted my Essential Issues video for Batman A Death in the Family, featuring a bunch of pages from my actually very well-worn, well-loved uh, trade paperback. The I think it's the first trade paperback that was ever made, collecting the four issues that make up that story. So it's a little bit of an artifact, but it's not in great shape, as you'll see if you watch the video. I use a cover, uh, a, a, a photo of uh, the, the cover of my trade paperback. It's a uh, pretty rough shape, but... Anyway, um, so there you go. That's all at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Uh, Christian Geekly news highlights from our Twitter feed at Christian underscore geek include Geek Devotions reviewed a devotional themed after superheroes. Uh, I posted uh, a link or a retweeted actually. That's how the kids say it, right? <laughs> Something that um, Reasonable Faith dot org put out there uh, about infinity. And I thought it was an interesting uh, concept. I mean, he's talked about the concept of infinity in, in a bunch of different uh, parts of his content, but it occurred to me that immortality is a common geek fiction concept, and uh, humans are made to exist forever, but we probably won't live an actually infinite number of days or moments. And that might seem strange to you. Like, what do you mean? I mean, does that mean we're not going to live forever? No. Uh, but there's a distinction to be made uh, when we talk about an actually infinite number of something. Dr. William Lane Craig explains infinity in uh, some recently tweeted content that I retweeted for you guys to check out. The Retro Rewind podcast number episode, number episode, episode number <laughs> 184 was released reviewing Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Uh, let's see here. There was some thoughtful content from Geek Center Grace posted this week uh, with spoilers, I should warn, for Avengers Endgame. The article's titled Flawed Faith, Tony Stark and the Lament for Modernity. The Crossover Alliance posted, We're now open for submissions for our upcoming short story anthology, Life. They go on to describe it saying, Life, breathed into each of us by God, this precious gift has often been neglected, overlooked, and even sought out to be destroyed. Through every struggle, though, there are stories of victory over death where life is preserved, saved, protected in even the darkest and direst of times. In our current cultural climate, life isn't always cherished as it should be, and the innocent are often the ones who pay for such evil. Pro-choice and pro-life have been at odds with each other for decades as one seeks to preserve while the other enables the taking of the innocent. We want your stories highlighting the gift that is life for our fifth annual short story anthology. Head to our submissions page and and follow the guidelines to get your story to us. Submissions are open from Wednesday, September 25th to Sunday, December 1st. So, interesting. They're taking on uh, what could be some pretty controversial, more politically uh, leaning uh, subject matter. Certainly, there's a ton of overlap, overlap there in terms of Scripture and Scripture's view on life, but there are different interpretations on that I want to acknowledge. But uh, uh, anyway... Um, yeah, interesting stuff. So if you are a writer and interested in writing, you know, kind of like some edgy uh, Christian fiction, uh, geek fiction, that kind of thing, uh, the Crossover Alliance may be something you want to check out and be a part of. For links to those stories and to stay up to date on the notable news and events from the wider world of Christian geekery, follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. Now it's time for the weekly waistline. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 in the ESV says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As geeks, we are known for our creativity and intelligence, but not especially known for our self-control when it comes to the pleasures of life. So 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 is the mission verse for me as I aim to be more responsible with my body and grow in my ability to say no to my desires. My goal is to lose 6 inches off my starting waistline of 42 inches. 
My wife is joining me trying to lose four inches. Since we need some help as we develop this discipline, there is a prize pool of fun money waiting for each of us at the end and a $50 bonus to whoever gets there first. For more details about the whole thing, you can listen to episode 565 of this podcast. For now, the weekly waistline for me is... 40 inches, so no change (laughs) from last week. I'm still four inches away, which is very cool, and I haven't gained anything, which is also very good. Um, And uh, but I, 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 it doesn't surprise me that I didn't lose any inches this week. Um, Holly, though, did uh, lose some, she lost one inch, she's now two inches away from uh, her goal. This week, I had more meat than usual. I made meatloaf as one of our meals, and even though I've committed to not eating any leftovers, because our boys don't like that meal uh, a ton, and Holly can only do so much herself, she was able to convince me to help her finish the leftovers, dang it. So, I I don't know, I'm gonna have to cut the recipe in half next time or something, I don't know. And on top of that, and I also gorged myself on meat. I have to say, when we had the meal, I was like, okay, I can't have leftovers, but I love this meatloaf. So I stuffed myself. Um, and then two days later, I had some leftovers. And then also, or no, three days later, I think, maybe, we also had a hot dog meal. And I didn't have leftovers for that meal, but and I didn't exactly gorge myself as much as I did with the meatloaf, but... I ate more than I needed to, you know. I had one proper hot dog and then I think two more, like, just the dog, no bun, you know. Um, the, and, man, they were good hot dogs. They were good, like the Bar S uh, brand, like the big beefy ones that, like, take up the whole bun and they're also, they have extra girth. <laughs> I never liked hot dogs when I was a kid. I don't know what's been going on with me. Something about... Uh, campfire cooking them or grilling them i definitely don't want them in the microwave or boiled or some crap like that that's how holly grew up with them and i don't know how she could stand it but we both like hot dogs much better now which was a bit of a problem for this week also i my gaming group got together on uh, on saturday night playing some call of cthulhu or cthulhu if you want to be more i guess accurate anyway it's made up so it doesn't, i'm gonna say cthulhu um Anyway, and that involved a can of Pringles that I consumed in one evening, and also a box of Crunch and Munch entirely consumed in that evening. Normally, I would only get myself one of those two for a game night. I felt like uh, splurging a little bit, and uh, I need to be more disciplined next time. Um, but I am off to a better start this week. I, instead of having any kind of like other type of snack, I had a veggie snack last night, which was basically heated up vegetables. I heated up a small bowl of peas and a small bowl of corn, and I added just a little bit of onion powder and uh, some pepper to both of those, and I'm, I'm a guy that likes the savory things, and so I was just like, you know, I, I want something. I had a veggie-heavy dinner, but you know, that's that doesn't have quite the staying power as some other things could. And so I had just a little bit of desire for something a little bit later. I was like, you know, I'm just going to have some veggies. I like savory stuff. And so uh, that was good. I'm also in the mornings, I think, especially today, got a little better at embracing hunger. You know, I drink water also to help stave that off. But uh, before it's time for a meal, um, I, you know, I, I, I embrace a little bit of hunger. I mean, I don't want it to go too far because then I will overreact and make myself too much for lunch, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit better at just embracing hunger a little bit, eating meals, uh, at least the ones I prepare for myself that are not leftovers or main meals that I prepare for the family, you know, those day-to-day ones, getting a little better at just eating for functionality and not for pleasure. And so I am making some forward steps. It's kind of a two steps, uh, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So, and if all of this just sounds really alien to you, like I, I'm not ready to change my diet, I, man, I'm not ready to start an exercising routine or something like that. Um, or I definitely don't want to, you know, check my waistline once a week. That'll just be discouraging and stuff. Then uh, try a baby step. Maybe, maybe that's what, you know, the first thing is for you. I, didn't start exercising until at least five years ago and it was it was slow inconsistent start and stuff but maybe you could just start by walking with me maybe this the christian geek central podcast could be the the one time a week where you go and walk for you know i'll be talking for at least uh 20 minutes even if you have me at 1.5 speed so uh, if you want to have a little 20 minute walk with me i'll keep you company for that Meanwhile, I'm reminding myself again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. 
They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Stay tuned for another update on our weekly waistline next time. Uh, this weekend is the last chance for patrons over at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions to vote on the direction I take for the near future at Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central. That poll is going to run until the end of Sunday, September 29th. And a reminder, even at that minimal $1 level, you can make your voice heard. That gives you voting rights. Uh, and, uh, and at 30 patrons, we're seven away from having 30 patrons, we're going to have a pizza with an asterisk. A party on Discord. For more information about all of that, visit patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if Spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Right now, I'm going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language we can easily take for granted, digging into history and languages as I'm able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully then see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Now, I'm not formally trained in scripture. I'm just a guy using resources and a questioning mind to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do. So I hope you're continuing to do that with me. We've been going through the book of James and have now arrived at chapter three. Verses 1 through 5 in the ESV reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Okay, so James' overall point in these verses and in the verses that immediately follow is that speech has a powerful and often destructive influence. Uh, teachers have powerful influence primarily because they speak and claim to know something that is worth being known by others. If they didn't speak and kept their thoughts to themselves, then there'd be no reason to evaluate them more strictly. So although James mentions a warning for teachers in particular in verse one, the main issue is that of speech. And the words that follow apply to everyone who communicates their thoughts to others, uh, as is indicated by the way James broadens his intended audience to all believers, brothers, in verses 9 through 12. So we'll look at these verses with all believers in mind, as James seems to have intended, but with an additional application recognized for those who teach. Um, now, as an aside... And on that subject, uh, as someone who teaches scripture, these verses are pretty personal to me, especially verse one um, in various contexts, first as a worship pastor for a couple years and for much longer uh, since then in online ministry and regularly for the last 15 years. I have taught from the Bible, both verse by verse and topically. Um, I've got a questioning mind and I get a lot of satisfaction from finding answers and sharing the answers I find to my own questions, uh, as well as helping others find uh, answers to their questions about God and the Bible. But right here is a sobering warning to those who would put themselves in the position of teaching others about the Bible. Again, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, the Greek word here for judged is a neutral term like evaluation. It can have either negative or positive results in the same way that an employee evaluation can lead to warnings or a raise. Uh, this is consistent with other parts of scripture that teach believers about rewards they can accrue or fail to accrue for obedience in this life received later in their immortal bodies. And for more on that, you can see 1 Corinthians uh, 3 verses 11 through 15 and 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 10. 
A primary reason teachers are evaluated more strictly is because they talk more regularly, which again is really the main topic of this passage. Uh, James brings up teachers presumably because there were a number of believers in his audience who were pursuing that role in their uh, communities. But his remarks about teachers in verse 1 seem to primarily be a tool for introducing the topic of speech in general. Verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, commentators interpret this verse at least a couple different ways that I've seen. The first um, that I've seen is that this basically is saying we all sin, And verbal sin is the hardest to avoid. In fact, it's so hard to avoid that if someone theoretically can manage to avoid that sin, then they certainly must have mastered all other forms of self-control. We might as well call them perfect. You know, uh, it interprets the verse as a sort of sarcastic statement. Uh, The second interpretation I've seen is that this verse is saying we all sin, but verbal sin has a way of affecting all other parts of our lives. And so when someone avoids a verbal sin, they are avoiding many other sins as well in the process. Uh, So this would be a non-sarcastic observation about the effects that verbal sins have on the rest of our lives. The common ground between the two interpretations is that verbal sin is easy to fall into and can have really intense effects. Um, Verses 3 through 5 again say, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Uh, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, Continuing verse 2's bridal metaphor, James illustrates how controlling our words leads to control of all of our actions. Then, using metaphors of a ship's rudder and a forest fire, he reveals the power and control our words have over our mode of operation. Okay, so looking at these verses, I always want to ask, you know, what's in all of this for geeks, specifically maybe? This was really interesting for me to try and think about with a fresh mind. This this passage here. I knew that our words could have a powerful effect on others, but I asked myself, How do my own words affect my course of action? Do I see anything similar among other geeks that I interact with and what I observe in myself? My mind quickly reflected on my tendency to be more invested in the convictions or ideas I express to others. You know, once I've put a thought out there, either publicly or in my work, uh, publicly in my work, I should say, or, or just talking to friends and family, you know, offline... My pride is on the line a little bit, you know, once I've put myself out there and, and stated something that I believe, uh, you know, I'm on record as having said A, right? So if someone says, well, A is not true, and they have good reasons for saying that, well, now I've got the choice to either dig my heels in and defend the fact that I said A, or uh, admit that I was wrong to at least some degree. Uh, I'm sure you've run into uh, this, a situation like the following on forums and other online places. You know, two people, maybe you're one of them, are going back and forth about some topic, each with differing views. At some point, one of them seems to get a little more intense and opinionated in how they express themselves, and and a sort of point of no return is reached, where you can tell that one or both parties are clearly not open to persuasion or uh, modifying their view in any way. Um, It could be a conversation about the Bible or Batman, but this kind of exchange, I think you'll agree, is pretty common. Now, maybe the person digging their heels in has good reason to, uh, because they are, in fact, correct in their view. Assuming, you know, that it's a fact-based topic and not an opinion topic, which we geeks can, you know, get confused about. Uh, But I think it's worthwhile for all of us to consider our tendency to dig our heels in when we shouldn't, once we have verbalized our view on something. Um, The power of words can also lead to good things, however, you know. For example, knowing that I will be sharing my weekly waistline measurement with my wife and with listeners of the Christian Geek Central podcast leads me to commit to making better eating and exercise choices throughout the week. Um, Once I have said I'm going to do something, I'm more likely to do it, you know, just in general. Um, Of course, that can still be wrongly motivated by pride, so that's worth considering as well. I guess my point 
is a basic one that we all really know already, uh, but we just needed to be reminded of repeatedly. And that's so much of what we see in Scripture is God saying again what he's already said, because we forget. We forget. And so we need a reminder. So I guess that would, the, the, the main focus I would want to, uh, main thing I would want to observe is something that you and I already know, you know, it, and that is that it's worth considering our words before we speak or type them. You know, the internet has made it so easy to feel safe in just firing off our words like a reckless machine gun spray. But the consequences of those easily sinful words can lead us to more sin in further and deeper ways, uh, having a much greater and longer lasting effect than we had anticipated. Feedback, feedback, give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we got to hear from you. If uh, you want me to do that, you can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. Uh, I do want to say thank you before starting to wrap things up here to everybody who prayed for my brother-in-law um, this week. Uh, I didn't mention it on the podcast last week, but I did uh, put something on the forums and mention it briefly on the Patreon page. Uh, but anyway, f- uh, for those who don't know, you know, you guys may be familiar with my younger sister, Corinne. You've seen her on a couple of my live streams, probably. I have an older sister also that lives in uh, North Dakota. Uh, and her husband, Chad, had a heart attack uh, about a week ago, a little less than a week ago, I think it was. And uh, it was uh, very sudden and unexpected, and it's kind of turned things upside down a lot for them as they, you know, make some major changes in life going forward. But uh, it was uh, much scarier than them just having to make some changes in life. There was a question of whether or not his life would continue. Uh, And so I really appreciate uh, prayers from you guys. Um, God said yes this time, and sometimes he doesn't, but I'm so grateful that he said yes to uh, keeping Chad with us and allowing him to stay and invest um, uh, for a longer period of time in his children. They're, they have four children, ages 3 to 13, so I was very glad, very grateful um, that uh, that he was able to recover from that and uh, a couple of procedures uh, that are going to be helpful to him in the future, I think. So anyway, thank you guys very much for your prayer about that. Any Anytime you guys want um, prayer about anything, go to the forums at uh, christiangeekcentral.com. We've got a section there for specifically for prayer requests. And uh, uh, now and then I also share those on the podcast. Not always, but uh, often I try to go over there and check and see if there's something that I can be alerting you guys through the podcast that we can be praying for. Um, but uh, that doesn't always happen. And so, uh, but, but uh, faithfully, we have a group of people that will uh, we'll gladly pray for you if you'd uh, if you'd like some prayer. So again that's at christiangeekcentral.com. And as a reminder, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I definitely want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by their nature they just can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building these purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, uh, I want to do that. Please email me at paeter at spiritblade.com and we can at least try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right. Well, the fall weeks are flying by. My gosh. I I think I commented on last week's episode that like the week flew by and again, it went flying by. And I think that's only going to continue. That is the way things tend to be in our household when the fall comes, partly because the boys are getting busier. And also once once Extra Life is on the horizon, for some reason, that just makes things move more quickly, you know. And then you got, uh, we've got a birthday right before uh, Halloween, then Halloween, then Extra Life, and then before you know it, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. I mean, it all just happens so stinking fast. 
Um, there's also more games coming out this fall. The Children of Morta is one I kind of have my eye on that I think I might review. It's kind of an indie game. Definitely not like a AAA or not even what I would call a AA game. Uh, but it looks interesting. Might be uh, a game that uh, I like, despite the fact that it having things a lot of things in common with games I don't like. So we'll see. You can look that up if you want more information about Children of Morta. Um, but right now I'm playing the Ghost Recon Breakpoint beta on PS4 and having lots of fun, with a few exceptions so far. You can look for my trial and error review of that early next week, and then I'll imagine I imagine talk about that on the podcast uh, next week. Stay tuned. After the credits of this episode for DS9 Shawarma with Matt McKinney of POSTOS, or you can jump back to episode 400 to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, I will share my thoughts, as I mentioned, on the PS4 beta for Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Wildlands was my game of the year, and a surprising game of the year at that. And um, there's there's one significant issue that I have so far with Breakpoint, but if that gets resolved, this uh, I don't know. It it definitely could be in the running at the very least for my game of uh, 2019. We'll see. We'll see. I still have several more hours to play before I really get a sense of you know what this thing is and what it's going to be. Uh, but that game releases next Friday as well. This is a fun experiment for me. This will be the first time that I've done a trial and error review based on the beta of a game. But uh, I'm going to see how that works and how the community and uh, other viewers and listeners respond to that. And at long last, next week, I plan to watch and review the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix releasing next Friday. I can't wait to see this, uh, what looks like a striking departure from what comic book movies have been trending toward for years. It definitely looks like my cup of tea, which <laughs> many of you uh, know already, given my dark, uh, my interest in, in dark, serious, you know, uh, heavy fiction. Uh, it could end up being my movie of the year, or it might still surprise me by being unexpectedly distasteful. I don't know. There's some controversy around this. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see just kind of how I feel about it at the end of the day. So uh, look forward to that. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. Yes, this is Bashirception, I guess you could call it. Slowception? Trekception. Trekception. This has been a storyline we've seen, you know, done in lots of science fiction. You know, I know Farscape's done it. Smallville did it. Where one character has to go into another character's mind. And it's always like just. It's usually what they call a bottle show. This one is, too, where you just use existing sets and characters and with minimal new actors. And it, it's a way to save money because with with two episodes left, there's going to be a lot of pyrotechnics and special effects and all that. So they're saving money for the future. That's good. And they're using this bottle show for a very good purpose. <laughs> Excuse me. This is Dr. Bashir finding the cure for Odo, or at least hunting for it. They were setting the things before, and now this is where it pays off. 
He, uh... <coughs> no, oh. He wasn't going to be able to find the cure with the information that he had. With normal science. And he knew that Section 31 would never allow him to get the information that they had, which would help his research. So he does something very clever. He sends a false message to Starfleet Medical telling them he found the cure. Because he knows that Section 31 can't allow a cure to happen. So they'll send they'll someone send to destroy someone it. to destroy his research. And in order to destroy it, they'd have to know what to look for. And he will then capture that person and use the mind probes on them. <laughs> not the, the mind, mind probes? probes. <laughs> yes. And, of course, they send Sloan again. But that's okay, because I love William Sadler. He's a great actor. And this is his swan song as a character. Um, and like I say, my only real thing I dislike about Section 31 is that they started so late that we couldn't have like a whole series of Section 31 storylines. And this is the only thing that real. I mean, they kind of hinted at an Enterprise and then Into Darkness flushed the opportunity down the toilet to do something with them. So this is really the end of Section 31 in any meaningful way. And it's interesting because it goes into what it is. And what's really interesting is the uh, the flip-flop, which they do telegraph. They explain it, but Bashir, in trying to stop Section 31, is acting very Section 31-y. Yeah, very he's doing some seriously unethical stuff. Ends justify the means, you use the Romulan mind probes. Yeah, he even points out these are the same ones that were used on him in their last adventure on Romulus. I'm going to brain rape you with these uh, illegal Romulan mind probes. Well, it's kind of like in Star Trek VI when Spock did that to... Uh, his protege, he uh, mind molded with her against her will, which is something that Vulcans usually hate. But because, but unlike Star Trek Six, which kind of just let it go, this one actually highlights: yes, this we are violating our rule, our principles. Um, but it's to save Odo's life, and as it turns out, we'll find out in a couple episodes, it has a much greater value beyond just saving a friend. Um, so, the, most of the episode is just inside Sloane's mind, which, of course, conveniently turns into Deep Space Nine sets. And they call attention to it, but I, I think that they they, they say he's... Because they're talking to a version of Sloane that's very sincere and friendly. And they say, why does this look like uh, Deep Space Nine? And he goes, oh, I just thought I'd be a good host for you all. And it's like, I, would, I think it would have been much more clever for him, for him to be saying, huh, you see Deep Space Nine? That's not what I see. What do you see? Nothing. You know, that he doesn't really have a home. Kind of, you know, all these weird implications. They, yeah. they just say, oh, I made it look like your play. You know, it's it's been done a thousand times. Oh, I, I'm I'm styling this to what you're used you to. It's a form you are comfortable with. Yes. yes. I'm using the English because you are familiar with, you know, all these convenient things. But it's an okay episode. Um, it's got some great moments. Uh, it, Kim was laughing because they have more of the Bashir-O'Brien bromance where they don't want to admit they're yes. friends. <laughs> where they're they're each talking about you know O'Brien's talking about his wife, Bashir's talking about his you know Esri his growing thing with Esri, and they're both talking about how they they just get along with each other better than they do with either of their love interests. Which is true of a lot of, a lot of people. Just they get along more with their friends and with their mates. No no bad thing about that. But yeah, um, you, you can just hear Turk and JD singing in the yeah. background. And I, I, I just ran out, No Homo, the movie. <laughs> That's what it felt no. like. Um, the only real thing I think this episode did badly uh, is the timeline is very weird and wonky. And ironically, never because they're in a dream state or anything like that. They never point out what the ince yeah. inception goes into the, when you're in a dream, time passes differently, which in real life it seems to as we dream. They but don't go into any of that there's stuff. There's even a weird passage of time bit before they're in the dream. Yeah. You can't even say that this this one can be excused. Because where, he'll die in an hour. Yeah, they, they have one hour to deal, to get into his head. Yeah, to even start getting into his head. And before uh, before all the data degrades in his brain. And Bashir has O'Brien find a bunch of equipment and rig something up. And yeah, they Jerry they montage, an inception machine. They montage them building a an inception machine from scratch, from basically. scratch, basically. And apparently, they did that in well less than an in hour, like seventeen like, minutes. Yeah, in about like fifteen twenty minutes, they did this. I'm like, all right then. Um, <laughs> and it just maybe and all, all, been, all you had to do was say he'll be dead in four hours. Yeah, if they'd given it a slightly longer time frame. 
It becomes more reasonable that you'd come up with something that's complicated from scratch. Because O'Brien is like one of the greatest improvisational, improvisational engineers you can find on Star Trek. But still, there's a limit to reality. And the thing is, again, it doesn't need to be like that. And they, when they go inside the thing, they, they, he's keeping a running tab of the time they've been in there. So it's not like, uh, it's no, not that, like the time is passing because they never say it, so you can't really say that, that counts. At the very least, I think it's more egregious when it's outside of the dream because you could argue that inside the dream, his perceptions are being distorted. Except for again, if the if the episode doesn't actually point this out, I don't think they get credit for yeah, that. No, aspect. you don't get credit, but. Especially because this was before Inception was popular. Yeah. So this kind of story was not so commonplace that you would treat that as a given That's expectation. True. I will say at the very beginning, we get treated to all the stuff that happened in previous episodes that set this up. And this is one of the best bits of exposition I've seen because they frame it in... Bashir and O'Brien explain everything that's happened to Cisco. They have to come clean to Cisco and tell him what they're doing. And And it's a good way to... They're not as you knowing because Cisco doesn't know this information. And the way it's acted, it conveys a lot of things about the character about... They're hesitant to say this. Cisco's, oh, I understand. You know, all these. It's like there's a lot of behind the scenes subtext to it while they're also getting all the information out. You're not just getting information, you're also getting character. So even if you know the information, you're not sitting there listening to what you already know because you're seeing Cisco respond to it. And he's responding in interesting ways. He doesn't just like, okay, uh-huh. Yes, he's like, and it, tell me more. And it's, so it's it's very well done exposition moment. This should be an example any writer does for how you get an info dump out there that has to be clear and concise and not take too much time, but still be interesting. And this is a very good pattern of how to do that. Yeah. Not just talk to someone, but make sure that that person's responses are still surprising and interesting. Um, yeah, not much more to say in detail because you just kind of got to watch through the episode. So that wraps up for us the Changeling Plague. That, yeah. Well, yeah, because, well, yeah, there's still, there's, it's still going to be a factor in things, but. True, but that wraps up. Odo's life is no longer in jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, we, Spoiler we, alert. Yeah, we've, <laughs> well, well, yeah, we've, we've saved yeah. Odo and we're. We're slowly pruning away these plot lines until yep. we have the well, very ending. Really, all all the side pr- timeline or plot lines are done. Now all we have are the uh, um, Cardassian resistance, the Cardassian resistance with Damar and the war itself. Well, and then we'll bring then back in the Pawrite stuff, the fire demons of Bajor. Yep. But even that is tied to the war. It's like it's good guys and bad guys. But yeah, we we it's, it's kind of like Return of the King where they close off this close it, until soon. It's just like two sides uh, in, having the same battle in different places. It's more like that. So yeah, we're we have next week. Next time is the Dogs of War, and then the finale. So, so. we'll see you for that one.